He was the last Athenian, that is, if a box of bones may be considered an Athenian. Alive he had been Themistocles, architect of the greatest sea battle ever fought. Now his remains were secretly reburied in Athenian soil, perhaps as rumored along the shore outside the wall of Piraeus Harbor. Themistocles's family, they said, had dug up the bones from their first grave abroad under the noses of the authorities. It was a ploy to bring a grin to the skeleton's mouth, for of all the clever Greeks, who was more cunning than Themistocles? Hey everyone, and welcome to my first book review for History and Games! Yay! So the first book I want to review is actually one that means a lot to me. It's a book that sparked a deep love of ancient Greek and Persian history in me, a love that still burns brightly today. What's the book? The Battle of Salamis, the Naval Encounter that Saved Greece and Western Civilization by Barry Strauss. I love this book, and one of the reasons I love it so much is because of descriptions like the one at the start of this video. Descriptions that make history come alive and fly off the page. Here's another example. Stripped of its helmet, Leonidas's head is framed by its long hair. The taut skin of the warrior's face, its color gone, and there is a dark purple bruise on his chin from the pooling of what little blood is left. Ragged bits of tissue and bone hang from his severed neck, and flies and beetles have landed on his skin. If the dead king's eyes could see, they might look all the way to Athens, the road to which now lies open for Persia. And again, she sits wrapped in a flowing linen tunic that is dyed purple. Her skin is perfumed with iris oil, her cheeks are rouged with vermilion, and her eyebrows are dyed black. She combines the cunning of Athena and the seductiveness of Aphrodite. Of all the great king's sailors, there is no one like her. She is queen of Halicarnassus. Her name is Artemisia. It's this type of vivid detail that drew me into the book when I first discovered it 15 years ago. I just returned from my parents' house after half a year of teaching in Japan, and one day, as I wandered around the library wondering what to do with my life, I'd yet to be hired by IGN, a strange book caught my eye. The Battle of Salamis? The naval encounter that saved Western civilization? That was a bold claim, considering I'd never even heard of Salamis. In fact, I knew very little of the overall subject matter of the book, which is about the ancient Greco-Persian wars of the 5th century BCE. I mean, who cares, I thought as I nonchalantly picked up the book and thumbed through its pages. Themistocles was the first character to greet me, then Leonidas, then Artemisia. And you know what? I was hooked. Instead of enduring a dusty, dull history lecture in the guise of ink and tree pulp, I felt like I was reading an exciting fantasy novel, one with fantastic world-building, interesting characters, and exciting action sequences. Or, to put it another way, it felt like I was actually transported 2,500 years into the past. I gripped the book white-knuckled as I read how hundreds of swift, sleek warships rammed into each other even as they were rocked by winds funneled through a narrow strait off the coast of Athens. I bit my nails wondering how Leonidas was going to survive the epic battle of Thermopylae. As we now know from the passage above, he didn't. How could the Greeks possibly win against the overwhelming forces of Persia? Yet somehow they did, and Barry Strauss tells us exactly how they did it. At just 252 pages, The Battle of Salamis is a quick read and one heck of a page-turner. Okay, but let's back up a bit. 
What is the Battle of Salamis? What are the Greco-Persian Wars? Well, here's a very, very quick summary. In the mid-6th century BCE, the Persian Empire, under the leadership of Cyrus the Great, rose from the ashes of earlier Near Eastern empires. Over time, this empire expanded as far east as the Indus Valley and as far west as the west coast of Turkey. It was the largest empire of its time. Impressive as it was, however, what we think of as the Persian Empire only lasted about 200 years and was ruled by only a handful of kings, collectively known as the Achaemenid or Achaemenid dynasty. Yet during its heyday, Persia was impressive. Its system of roads was superior to almost anything else. Their government was organized, and the empire was somewhat progressive for its time. The Cyrus Cylinder is one such example of that. And yet, nobody wants to be made to join a team, even if it's the winning team, which is why by the time King Xerxes I came to power around 486-485 BCE and decided to expand his empire all the way to mainland Greece, the Greek city-states decided to fight for their independence. Well, sort of. Let it be known that although this cluster of feisty independent mavericks valued their freedom, they loved to needle their Greek neighbors more, and were not afraid to ask the Persians to help them do so. What the Greeks failed to realize is that whenever they asked Persia for help, the Persian kings just, you know, assumed it meant the Greeks were willing to join their empire. Thus, when Xerxes decided to march west in 480 BCE, well, he might have done so earlier, but it was delayed by two rebellions, he probably felt entitled to take over Greece. After all, even Athens had once submitted earth and water as a token of submission in exchange for helping in a political struggle. By the way, the Athenians renegated on that promise before the Persians could act, and also aided a revolt against Persia, which probably didn't impress the Persian kings. No, up until then, nobody had successfully stopped the Persian Empire. Every rebellion within the empire had been crushed. First by Cyrus, then by Darius, then by Xerxes. And I'd include Cambyses II, but he only ruled for about seven years before meeting a grisly and rather sus ending. And so it wasn't too surprising that out of about a thousand Greek city-states, only 30 were willing to take on the Persians. 30 small city-states versus the vast Persian Empire were not good odds for the Greeks. The only ones willing to stand and fight were the military juggernaut of Sparta, a city-state infamous for both training its men to be professional soldiers and for horribly abusing its enslaved neighbors, the recently empowered and sometimes quarrelsome Athenians with their new navy, and their somewhat reluctant allies, which included Corinth, Aegina, and a few other notables. On Papyrus, it was a meager force. And yet the Greeks had the home field advantage, as Barry Strauss underlines in his fantastic book. The Spartans, led by the Stoic King Leonidas, were able to exploit the narrow pass of Thermopylae in order to delay the lumbering Persian army and give the people of Athens time to evaluate their city before the Persians could overrun it. Then the Athenians, led by the wily politician Themistocles, were able to exploit the narrow straits of Salamis off the coast of Athens using a mix of cunning, topography, geography, and meteorology to fight off the mighty Persian fleet, which included the first female admiral in Western history, Artemisia. When the Greeks won at Salamis, the Persian fleet, wrecked by winds and punctured by the rams of enemy Greek ships, was forced to flee Greek waters. It never returned. The following year, the Persian army also permanently retreated after being beaten at the Battle of Plataea. 
It's fascinating stuff, made even better by Barry Strauss's ability to recreate these battles through a mix of sight, smell, taste, and sound. He does a great job conjuring up these historical moments and the people involved in these moments. And because of that, I went on to read Herodotus, Thucydides, Xenophon, and about a billion other authors that recorded Greek history. Even now, I'm working on a fictional autobiography of my boy Themistocles. That's how much this book inspired me. Now, I do want to clarify that the Greeks were not saints. They had slaves. Boo. Women had no rights. Boo. And they looked down their noses at anyone who wasn't Greek. In fact, the word barbarian comes from the Greek barbaros or barbar, which is the sound Greeks thought outsiders made when they spoke. In some ways, the Greeks kind of sucked. And yet their ideas of democracy and independence are incredibly valuable. They realized a group of people working together was better for a nation than an elite group always trying to cling to power. I just wish humans were better at putting that belief into practice. At any rate, please read this excellent book. It manages to get into the nitty-gritty of the Greco-Persian Wars and how the Battle of Salamis changed the tide in the Greeks' favor. Then if there's a book that you love about ancient Greece or Persia, go ahead and recommend it to me in the comments section below. Thanks for watching, guys. See you later!